morning I would like you to open God's holy word to Genesis. Genesis chapter 4. I notice we didn't take up a formal offering today. I, I don't know if it's because of the COVID-19 that Dan is concerned about or since I hadn't preached in seven weeks he might be concerned I'll preach a couple of hours here. <laughs> Genesis chapter 4. Let's begin with verse 3. <clears throat> and in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of fruit of the ground of the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But He did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel. Some commentators say that the actual text says that Cain wooed Abel out to talk with him. Talk with his brother. As it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Heavenly Father, I pray today that You'll give us light and understanding from Your Word this morning. And Holy God, I pray today that there's someone here that has not been washed in the blood they have not been forgiven of their sins because of the all-sufficient sacrifice of Your dear Son that You would open their hearts so that they might believe this Gospel and be saved this morning. And Your saints would be built up today, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. In Genesis chapter 4, we have mentioned here for us the very first descendants and the second generation of the whole human race. And you notice it doesn't take long here after sin had entered the world, and we have the record of that in Genesis chapter 3, that the siblings of the very first parents brothers, one killed the other one. Before that happened though, we are told here in this text that 
both Cain and Abel had good, noble, respectable vocations. The one was a shepherd and the other was a farmer. This morning I want us to delve in rather deeply concerning two things this morning. The offerings that were given by Cain and Abel and Cain and Abel themselves or the offerers. I want us to delve in pretty deeply with these two thoughts today. First of all, let us think about the offerings that Cain and Abel offered before the Lord. Well, why, first of all, was there a need, or what did they know about offering up an offering to begin with? The promise of the substitute that was to come is in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. We're going to look at that later. Was it possible that Adam and Eve had themselves offered up a sacrifice in the hopes that Messiah someday would come? That there would be one to come that would give His life as a substitute for sin whereby the human race might be forgiven. I think that is certainly possible, if not probable, that even Adam and Eve themselves had offered up sacrifice and Cain and Abel learned that from them. They knew that a substitute was needed. So Cain, the text tells us, brought forth fruit of the ground. Some type of fruit, some type of of vegetable that he offered before the Lord. Now, let us understand first and foremost this morning, there was nothing wrong inherently with the offering that Cain brought before the Lord. It was acceptable. Certainly further along in the Old Testament, grain, olive oil, wine, and such things were required to be offered unto the Lord in the hopes that their sins would be forgiven in the Redeemer that was to come. So it was a, in and of itself, it was a good offering. And in a sense, it was a very natural offering for Cain to offer because he was a farmer. He had worked in the field. He had exhibited a lot of human uh, labor and energy. So it would be quite natural for him to bring something in accord with his vocation. But then again, on the other hand, there was something about this that was in direct relationship to what his hands had done and how he himself had cultivated and worked that crop. So this is this is at least questionable. Because the scripture says it's not at all by our goodness, it's not by any type of work of righteousness which we have done, but it's according to the mercy of Christ. So maybe just a hint of a little bit of a human work. Secondly, it was really a rather quick and easy fix, wasn't it? You know, this I am to bring an offering before the Lord. This is what I do. And here's the grain, here's the fruit. Okay, I'll get this. And here it is. Offer it before the Lord. 
a little bit faultless probably, sort of a cursory, uh, superficial uh, offering before the Lord. Now this was not the first time that the fruit of the vine had been taken as a hopes of securing uh, a covering before God, was it? You know, when Adam and Eve had first sinned in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, first of all, let's look at Genesis chapter 2 and verse 25, the sweetness and the innocence of Adam and Eve there as they were in the garden. Sin had not entered into the world and they were both naked and the man and his wife and they were not ashamed. They didn't have any sinful thoughts. They were pure in their heart and there was no, no issue there. But what happened? As soon as they had sinned against God, sin had come in the world and their first recognition of themselves that now they were naked. They needed to be clothed. And in Genesis chapter 3, in verse 7, the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Some type of vine, a fig, but it was rejected by God ultimately, wasn't it? And the Lord Himself slew an animal and clothed them with the skin of an animal. Was there not something in that? Just maybe even a hint of the fact that it's going to take something greater than the fruit of the vine, than a fruit, than grain, to merit your salvation before God. And then again, this fruit offering, this offering from the ground, was something that was quite impersonal. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, compare that to the lamb that Abel offered before the Lord. Some of you here in this building have raised sheep and goats, and you know what it's like to get attached to an animal, especially if in the process of time you know that you're going to have to kill this animal. Okay? But how many of you have ever gone out into your garden and cut off a big head of lettuce and you said to yourself, oh, so sad. I love that head of lettuce. It meant so much to me. And how sad it is for me. You see, you see, you see uh, just another, a little bit of a hint of an offering that could have been less than personable. And certainly, you know, it didn't cost a whole lot. I don't know how big of a crop Cain had, but this was just a, a little portion of what he had been growing. So see, again, kind of not, not thinking too much, kind of a quick fix. Uh, you know, I've got all this. I get time to offer of Here, take this. Give the Lord something of the fruit of the ground. It was not very costly. It didn't require a whole lot. And again, was there something inherently wrong with Cain offering up this sacrifice? No, it wasn't. But even when uh, the grain or the olive oil or the wine or whatever it was 
that, that God had required to often offer, sometimes those that were poor and didn't have enough money would offer a grain offering rather than an animal offering simply because it was less costly. And that was okay, and that was fine to do that. So, here's something about the offering that Cain brought. Now, what about the offering that Abel brought here? Inquiring minds want to know. Or maybe a skeptical mind. Here's a question. What in the world was Abel doing with this, these sheep to begin with? You get my question? Why did Abel have sheep? Why do I ask that question? What was the, what, what's the number one reason to have, have the sheep? Or to eat. How about to eat? Okay? What did they not do for many years later? What people didn't eat meat. They were not they were they were herbivores. Meat did not come about until after the flood when they began to eat meat. So just in case you wanted this is free, just in case you wondered about that, what were they doing with this with the sheep? And really, it's pretty easy to understand that because the the, comp, the corporation Briggs and Stratton had not been invented yet. Okay. They didn't have lawnmowers, so well the sheep be pretty handy, as you know they're pretty good at keeping down the grass. And thorns and thistles and weeds were a problem now because sin had entered the world, and Adam had to deal. With it. Adam and Eve and Cain had to deal with that. So maybe they for that reason. Also, as we've already noted, uh, the animal skins were used for clothing. And then another note that many of us do not, I did not know, that sheep's milk actually is the most nutritious, it's most compatible in human digestion, and it's more palatable. It's actually more tasty and smooth. Anybody here ever drank sheep's milk? That's what I thought. Now you know now you know, okay? Uh, but anyway, so anyway, with this in mind, Abel was a keeper of the flocks. And the scripture tells us here in Genesis chapter 4 that he brought to the Lord the very firstborn. And this refers to the choice animal. It was, it was the first of God's blessings. And you know, he could have said, you know, I'm going to make, make sure that we have eight or ten or twelve lambs before I, I give them. And no, he didn't think that way. He said, I'm going to give of the very firstborn unto the Lord. And we know that later on in the history of God's revelation, that the lamb or the goat or, or whatever was to be offered was to be offered. It was to be the firstborn. It was to be without defect. In other words, it was to be healthy. It was to be the most prized. For God would often rebuke His people when they gave a sacrifice haphazardly. You know, this animal over here, it's a little sickly. Let's just get rid of it. Offer it to the Lord. No, that was not the case. They had to offer from the best. And that's what Cain, or excuse me, what Abel does here. 
He offers of the very best. We see there in verse 4 that He brought of this firstborn of the flock and of their fat. What does that little phrase there mean, those words, of their fat? Two different things possibly. First of all, oftentimes when God required His people, the priests, to offer up a sacrifice, the fat portion was set aside on the brazen altar and it was burned under the Lord as a sweet aroma. That's possibly here what it was mean, what this might mean. But more probable, it's simply a, a euphemism saying that he chose a, a lamb that was fat. In other words, it was plump. It was healthy. It was in good shape. It was not lacking anything. It was the very best. So Abel brought forth unto the Lord from the very best that he had. Indeed, unlike the, the grain or the fruit that Cain offered, this would be a more costly sacrifice. Okay? It costs more to, to raise a sheep, to raise a lamb, than it would one simple piece of grain that would be, was to be offered to the Lord. So it was not, a, not cheap, you know. By the way, we as believers, we're talking about the free grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. How He bestows His mercy upon us freely and we receive it freely. We can't pay for our salvation. It's a free gift of God. Let me tell you something. Although it's free, it's not cheap. It's very, very costly. It costs the Lord Jesus Christ a second person of the Trinity is very life. And can you imagine what that was like when Jesus came and laid down His life for us? The grief that the Father felt when He had to pour forth His wrath that you deserve, that I deserved upon Him because He was the very substitute of our sins. And this offering that Abel gave was just a minute glimpse of the generosity, the mercy, and the kindness of God. Then again, as, as I mentioned earlier, we, we relate more to this type of animal. Some of the older commentaries that I read uh, mentioned the fact that in contrasting the sheep that was offered by Abel and the grain that was offered by Cain. The sheep was different in that it had life in it. Now, all those commentators knew that that fruit has life in it too. But this particular life is different because the, the particular life that was in this animal is more like the life that we have. A little biology lesson here. How is that? Well, both that sheep and us are what? They were mammals. We are mammals. And what is a mammal? Well, a mammal is one that is born of a relationship wherein the female has mammary, mammary glands. Okay. And we are dependent upon that, just like that. Just like uh, the, the animal mammal. We are like unto them. 
Now, bear in mind here that the Lord had already pronounced a death sentence upon Adam and Eve. Look in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17. When He warned them that of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And when Adam and Eve sinned against God, immediately death came upon them. You see, They were worthy of death because they had sinned against God. They had committed high treason against the King of Heaven. They, and they were culpable to death. God would have been just if He would have killed them right then and there. Brother Ryan has talked to us at length about the the law of the lex talionis. Okay? And that is, whatever punishment you should receive should be in accord with what you've done. Well, because of their sin, Adam and Eve's sin, they were culpable of being punished to the point of to, to die. Alright? Now, so, back to this offering of Cain and Abel. You see, because that life that was in that sheep or that lamb that Abel offered to the Lord, it was like unto us. You see. So again, we, we're mulling this over in our mind. We're, we're delving into areas where it's shadowy. It's not crystal clear. What was Abel focused on? Why, why, why did he decide to do this? Now think about this. There had never, ever been an uh, a sacrifice that has been mentioned in the Word of God. Adam and Eve may have, in fact, have done this, but never mentioned. Here it is mentioned for our understanding. They knew that a substitute was to come onto the scene. Let's go ahead and turn there. Let's turn back to Genesis chapter 3 and, and verse 15. The Lord is speaking to the serpent here in verse 15. And He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And now He's speaking to Satan and He says, between your seed and her seed, and He shall bruise your head. In other words, the Lord Himself, this one, this substitute, is going to come with all the evil that you're devising, there's going to come a day when the head of the snake's going to be cut off, Satan, his head, and his plans, and everything that he devises is going to be destroyed. His head is going to be bruised. But in the course of that event, you, Satan, are going to bruise the heel of the one that is coming. Now what's that talking about? It's talking about the fact that Christ's heel was bruised when He was on the cross. That He was going to come and that He was going to suffer. Okay. Now, now listen again. Let's, we're studying here in, in the shadows. Cain and Abel did not have uh, Burkhoff or Calvin to study under. They were not theologians. What did they have? They had just one verse. One verse that's given by divine revelation. 
Don't you suppose that in the course of time, Mom and Daddy, Adam and Eve, sat down with Cain and Abel, and they shared with them about this great hope that's going to happen in the future. As a matter of fact, many theologians believe that as soon as Cain was born, and then he said, I have received a man from the Lord, it was possible that she thought, could this be the one that is going to come and be the substitute for our sins? And oh, how disappointed she must have been. So, here again, uh, this relationship between this animal, this one that had the life in it. This is the type of sacrifice that Abel offered. Did he know something of the fact that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins? Just another free little tidbit here I'll share with you. There's a very interesting thinking about mammals and their likeness between the animals and the humans. There's another Hebrew word for the word offering that has in the root meaning of that word, the word is milk. And Josephus actually said that along with the firstlings of the flock when it was offered, its milk was also offered up with it. In other cultures, milk itself was given as an offering to their God. But more so, you know, it's the word sacrifice in the Greek and it's the word offering in the Hebrew, the way we translate it. In the Greek, the word can be translated in comparison to a grain offering. It's simple this, very woodenly. There's more to it. There's more in it than of the grain offering. Albert Barnes said it this way in comparing Abel's offering to Cain. He said that the offering of Abel was more essential to the full expression of a right faith in the mercy of God. There you have it. And later on, as the priestly system and the sacrificial system developed, in the early beginnings, Aaron in Leviticus chapter 9 will not take the time to turn there. But in Leviticus chapter 9, a lamb of the first year that was without spot or blemish was to be offered unto the Lord as a burnt offering. During that time, Aaron lifted up his hands and he blessed the people. Later, Moses and Aaron came forth from the tabernacle and they blessed the people. And then what happened? Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people and God gave His approval by answering with fire that came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering upon the altar. And when all the people saw it, they, they shouted out with joy and for awe and they fell on their faces in worship to God and in reverence to God. See, God accepted that offering because it was prefiguring the One that was to come. And when He came at His baptism and also at His transfiguration, there was a voice from heaven that said, This is My beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. 
The perfect offering had come as John the Baptist cried out, Behold the Lamb of God that has come to take away the sin of the world. And the Lord said from heaven, Hear ye Him. This is the one. And upon His death, that sacrificial system was done away with. And the veil in the temple was rent, not from the bottom to the top as if man could do it, but it was rent from the top to bottom as if God had done it because God did it. When Jesus' death said, He cried out, It is finished. It is done. It is accomplished. Wow. Now we're back over 6,000 years. And it's interesting to me that in those shadows, in that time when God had not given a great deal of revelation, that there must have been some semblance of this in the heart of Abel. That this one that was going to come forth was to have his heel bruised for my transgressions. And that God had already killed this animal and clothed him. This is a precursor of the fact that there was a great need to be clothed to be cleansed by the blood. In Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to turn there in a minute, but don't turn there now. In Hebrews chapter 11, the writer of the Hebrews said that the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ was more excellent in that it was a slain sacrifice for our behalf. In other words, it was a better sacrifice. It was a more full sacrifice. It was a much more sacrifice. It was more plenteous. It was of more value. Abel's offering reflected this. Back in Genesis chapter 4 now. And verse 4. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he, not, he did not respect Cain and his offering. The word there is an interesting word for the word respect. Some translations say that the Lord favored the offering of Abel and not the offering of Cain. A word that is sometimes used interchangeably is the word grace when Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It's not the same Hebrew word, but sometimes they're used interchangeably and they often mean the same thing. This word respected in the Hebrew is an interesting word. The Lord respected. The word carries with it the, the meaning that when God saw this, this is more, much more true in the human realm, this word respected means to gaze in amazement. Like, do what? What did he just do? From a human response. In other words, when God looked upon Abel, he respected him, and he, he must have, I know I'm, I'm humanizing this to a great extent, but he must have thought, you know, that boy's been listening. 
He's been responding to what I have revealed. And he's living up in accordance with what I've said. Possibly what mom and dad have taught him about the one that is to come. So he offers up this sacrifice that is more like unto himself. A costly sacrifice. He gave this. And the Lord showed favor. He showed grace to Cain because he to, to Abel rather than Cain because he respected his offering. Now I say all that to say this. Again, was there anything wrong with the offering that Cain made? No. But the gist of this whole biblical dilemma is not so much with what type of offering was given, but the offerer, the one who offered up the offering, which we're going to see is the most significant thing that we need to study this morning. The real difference then, here it is. The real difference, this real distinction between the two as we're going to see here, is what is most important what was the intention and the disposition of the one that was offering sacrifice? Where were their hearts? Just as the Scripture says that God is concerned about us and our hearts as we come to give our gift to the altar. We can make sure our heart is right with one another. Make sure our heart is right with the Lord. What was your motive for coming in here this morning? You get your card punched. I've been to church. I feel good now. Or was it to learn about the things of God and to worship Him, to love Him, and to honor Him? Throughout the Old Testament narrative, we find that God is more concerned about the heart and our obedience and our love for Him more so than He is just about some sacrifice that we're going to offer. Okay, so let's think about the offerers. Cain. Well, right off the bat, the Word of God tells us that his heart was not right with God. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 12, again, you don't have to take the time to turn there, but can if you want to. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 12, it tells us explicitly that Cain was of the wicked one. He was bound in sin. He was a child of the devil. He belonged to the devil. So this is why then that Cain was totally and completely impossible for Cain to please God because he was a child of the devil. He could not offer a correct sacrifice. Even if he would have offered the most choicest of lambs, God would not have accepted him because he was not coming before God with the right motivation. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 7 and 8, 8, the Scripture says that the carnal mind is at enmity against God. You see, we just read those verses in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 that there will be enmity 
between you, Satan, and the woman, and between the offspring of the devil and her seed. This is what we have here in the very first offspring dramatically portrayed before us. That there was a struggle, there was a strife, there was this anger in the heart of Cain. He was not right with God. So immediately he kills his brother. The carnal mind, the, the unconverted mind, the, the, the natural mind of, of man is at variance with God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then, those that are in the flesh cannot please God. If you're here and you've never trusted in Christ, you're in the flesh. You're without God and without hope in the world. You can't do anything to please God until you understand the sufficiency of this sacrifice and then you learn to love God and want to please God, then you can offer up things that bring pleasure unto the Lord. In 1 John chapter 3, and verse, verse 10, the Scripture tells us that the children of God and the children of the devil were manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, get this, nor is he who does not love his brother. Wow, you can't get more clear than that. Cain not only did not love his brother, he killed his brother. You see. Was not the children of God and the children of the devil being made explicitly manifest to us? Cain could not please God. He was not right with God. But he gives his sacrifice this superficial, this, this ritual, this going through the motions, sort of a phony religious act. Jesus warned against those that would honor Him with their lips and their heart is far from Him. Well, after the fact, after Cain and Abel had offered up their sacrifice to the Lord, do we see very much concern here with Cain? Look in chapter 4. In verse 6, So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? <laughs> I thought of a little lesser anger just now. Remember, that, remember how ticked off Jonah got because the Lord provided that, that vine for him to rest his head so he wouldn't get, <laughs> so get sunburned. Then when the vine went away, Jonah got all the more angry. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's Cain. He's angry. And why has your countenance fallen? Why, why are you so upset, Cain? The Lord was merciful, gracious, kind to Cain. He simply says to him there in verse 7, you know, you, you, you have many more chances, Cain. If you'll do what's right, it will be well with you. And you'll be accepted. But he gives, us, gives him this warning there. If you do not do what is well, sin lies at the door and its desires for you. Sin wants to master you. It wants to rule over you. That was the warning that God gave to Cain. Was he concerned? Oh yes, Lord, I hear you now. I'm going to understand more about this sacrifice that you promised. I realize that I, my heart is not enough. There was no concern at all. He was just going about this whole thing 
from a totally human perspective. He did not seek to honor God. He, he was not concerned about reverencing God or hearing the Word of God. It's simply, well, it's time to offer sacrifice. This is what you're supposed to do. Here it is. It was done in a selfish manner. I thought of the words from Romans chapter 10 in relation to the Jews that had rejected their Messiah. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. There it was. Abel, on the other hand, knew something about the fact that the righteousness of God is needed in my behalf. Abel was not concerned. He was more concerned about displaying his own, the fruits of his own hands and offering up to God what he was all about. A, a human perspective. But on the other hand, the Apostle Paul said, I desire to be found in Him and in Christ, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. That's the righteousness that we need. You see, to be found in the Lord's mercy and grace. Not in our own righteousness. Nothing in my hand I bring simply to the cross. I claim. Not with Cain. He was angry. You see, it was all about him. Uh, he was so angry. Here again, here's this enmity that God said would exist. Enmity between one another. Enmity between the children of God and the children of the devil. Here's this struggle. Here's this anger, you see. I want to tell you what. And this was not just an anger and jealousy against Cain. It was an anger against God Himself. I believe it was possible that Cain, if he could ascend into heaven, he would have killed God. He was angry at God. What is wrong with my offering? He was angry. He was displeased. He wanted to establish his own way. It was his way or the highway. So in the midst of this rage and this midst of this fury, he coaxes his brother out of the field and what do you know the rest of the story? He killed his brother with malice and revenge. And why did he do that? Well, first John chapter three and verse twelve says that his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. He despised the righteousness of Abel, he despised the righteous act of Abel in offering a more correct sacrifice to the appointment in his rage. He struck his brother and he killed him. And then, what was the response? The Lord came. He said, Cain, where is your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? That kind of attitude. No concern. No concern. So you see, here we have some proofs of what Cain was like and what he was made of and the enmity that he possessed and the fact that because he was a child of wrath, 
he showed that wrathfulness in relation to his sibling. And such is the nature. Such is the nature of sin. The, the discord that comes about simply because sin had entered into the world. You don't see any of this when Adam and Eve walked in the garden in the presence of the Lord. You know, that sweet state. And we look forward to that time we sang this morning, this morning when sin shall reign no more because of the blood of Christ that takes away the power of sin. We look forward to that time. But now, there's egotism, there's discord that abounds. You know the Beatles? Remember the Beatles? Well, their last song that was written by George Harrison before the group disbanded. And why did it disband? Well, because of the discord and the egotism that the members of the Beatles group had. You know, they, they each wanted it kind of their way. So this last song that George wrote, some of you know it, it's I, Me, Mine. Because this was his sphere of thought. Here's the song. Does this not correspond to selfish, sinful man? I, me, mine. I, me, mine. All through the night, I, me, mine. They're not frightened of leaving it. Everyone's weaving it, coming on strong all the time. All through the day, I, me, mine. All I can hear, even those with tears, no one's frightened of playing it. Everyone's saying it, flowing more freely than wine all through the day. I, me, mine. I, I, me, mine. I, I, me, mine. I, 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 me, mine. You see, it's all about me. And George knew something of what was happening to the Beatles. So he wrote about the discord. But such is the case with all humanity. And then again, the heart of Cain was, wow, not, not one of, of gratitude and thankfulness before the Lord. I mean, just think of the, the place where they are in. The fact that they had been blessed by God. And now they have been stirred upon to offer up this sacrifice. Wow, you, you don't see anything at all of gratitude here in the life of Cain. It's looked like, well, you know, this is what I've done. Here's the work of my hands. Here, Lord, take this. Here's the fruit of the ground. I've worked on this. And I have offered this from what I have done. Reminding me of Charlie Anderson, the farmer and the family patriarch that was played by Jimmy Stewart in the movie Shenandoah. And in that movie, Jimmy had a... Uh, Jimmy, uh, not Jimmy, Charlie Anderson, played by Jimmy Stewart, he, he had lost his wife and times were hard. And they had to work on the farm, very difficult to make ends meet. And here's his prayer of thankfulness to the Lord. Lord, we cleared this land, we plowed it, we sowed it, and we've harvested it. And we cooked the harvest. And it wouldn't be here and we wouldn't be eating it right now if we hadn't done it all ourselves. 
We work dog bone hard every day for every crumb and morsel. But we thank you, Lord, just the same anyway for this food that we're about to eat. Amen. Really a heart of thanksgiving, right? To the Lord. Well, there's something, some semblance of this in Cain. His heart was just not right before the Lord. And you know, as always, Hollywood got it right in the end. And the Lord seemed to soften Charlie Anderson's heart. But does not the farmer understand that it's not by his hands that anything is done? Or do we not understand that? It's the Lord Himself who has decreed the seed time and the harvest. It's the Lord Himself that has given us the provision of sunshine and rain. He's kept us from pestilence and disease and harm. He sustains life itself. He gives to each one the breath and the strength and the stamina to do the work. God should be praised and thanked for what He's done and given us the grace to accomplish whatever in this world that we have done. Now, finally, Abel. And what kind of offerer he was. Now here's the key to everything that I've said this morning. What I've said about the offering, I think is very plausible. And it pointed to the Messiah that was to come. Again, we're studying this out of the shadows. Out of a, out of a background where there was very little of God's revelation. But yet, I think enough that we can have good understanding. Well, we've been given more understanding by the writer to, of the Hebrews. So turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 11. That great, as we often refer to it, as that great hall of fame. Guess who is the very first one mentioned in God's hall of fame, so to speak? Well, it's Abel in verse 4. And here's the key possibly to everything that I've said this morning and all the contemplation about Abel. Here it is. You ready for it? Chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. How did he do this? He was smarter. He was more understanding. He had studied more. No, he offered up this by faith. Where was his faith? Well, we've already touched on it, haven't we? He had the one word from God, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, that there was one that was going to come whose heel would be bruised, that he would be the substitute. He believed something of that. He believed something of the fact that there was one to come ahead of him that was going to atone for his sins. And he needed that substitute. And by faith, he simply believed that. He trusted in God. And just as it was with with Abraham who believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness, I think we see the same thing here. 
that even though it's not explicitly mentioned as it was with Abraham, he, he trusted in the Lord. And by faith, by faith, he offered to God a better, a more excellent sacrifice. Because he had more understanding and meaning of this theologians refer to it as the proto-euangelion, the, the, the gospel in the shadows that was promised there in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. He believed! He believed and he trusted. So, Abel did not become right with God because of the sacrifice that he offered. But by faith in the one who was to come, he was made right and thereby his, his sacrifice that he offered testified to the fact that he was a righteous man. Not based on anything that he had done. The same that was true for you and I as it was the same for Abel. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. He believed God. He trusted God. He was in relationship with God. And by the fact that He came and He offered a sacrifice that pleased God was He obtained witness from God that He was righteous. And God testified of His gifts. What does that word testified mean? I don't know. You probably don't either. Some have said that God sent down fire from heaven just as He consumed the burnt offering. But we're not sure of that. That's speculation. But God was pleased with it. And though now He is, he is dead, He still speaks. And here it is in Holy Writ for us. The first person that came into a right, right relationship that is mentioned in the Word of God, Adam and Eve did in all probability. But here it is explicitly mentioned. And that faith lives on today. You see, that faith lives on today. Do you have that faith? Do you have that faith? He goes on to say here in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Well, uh, let's go ahead and look at uh, another verse or two of Scripture here. In Hebrews chapter 12. Brother Ryan read these verses for us this morning about how the fact that, let me put it this way, we have been joined with Abel in this great family of faith because we've believed in Jesus. We've trusted in Him. And now in verse 22 of chapter 12, <clears throat> you have come to Mount Zion, not Mount Sinai, but that place where there was a cross on the hill where Jesus died. You've come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, who are registered in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of men, just men, made perfect. But look at verse 24. This is the one that we've come to if we are in Christ, if our sins have been forgiven. We've come to Jesus, the mediator, the one who stands between God and man 
in our behalf. The Savior, the One who is a propitiation of our sins. We've come to this Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. And look what He says here. And to the blood of sprinkling. Again, here's a reference, a faint reference to the Old Testament sacrificial system. Possibly one of two things. You know, when, when, when Moses was consecrating the people along with Aaron, he sprinkled the blood upon the book of the covenant, upon the people, upon the tabernacle, and upon the vessels within the tabernacle. Because he said there at the end of that, the writer of the Hebrews, because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So we've come. So here's the culmination. Here's the fulfillment of all those verses in the Old Testament that were a shadow. They were just a type of things to come. But now, we have come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, the blood of sprinkling, possibly speaking about as well the the blood that was sprinkled upon the mercy seat, wherein God was able to forgive the transgressions of Israel, looking forward to the ultimate mediator of the new covenant that was to come. This is where we are, folks. In Christ, we have come to this place and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks of better things than that of Abel. Now, this is not saying there's anything wrong with what Abel did. He was a good offering. And his heart as an offer was right before God. But you see, it was just in the shadows. We in the New Covenant know now the full blessings of everything that God has done for us. And in that we know that, verse 25 says, See then that you do not refuse Him who speaks. The One who speaks from heaven. Do not refuse Him. Do not turn your back upon Him. Do not think that this blood that was spilt was not the most important thing that was ever spilled in all of the world. How much do you value Him? The Word of God in 1 Peter says that we have not been redeemed from corruptible things, with corruptible things like silver or gold, but we have been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. Here it is. A life was required. And he gave His own life and died upon the cross in order that we might be forgiven of our sins. Jesus, the perfect substitute. His righteousness given to us by grace, by mercy, by His love. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes should not perish but have ever lasting life. So do we value Him, brothers and sisters in Christ? Well, the proof is in the pudding. Because if we have the kind of faith that Abel had, a faith that seeks to honor God, please God, to serve God honorably, then the Apostle Peter says that that kind of faith as well is more precious than gold and silver.
Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning. Thank You, O God, for that ultimate sacrifice. The perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ. One who did not sin, who could not sin, who was perfect for us, who laid down His life that we might have life. Oh Lord, we give You praise and honor this morning based upon what You've done for us. And Father, we pray that as Abel was a righteous man and You testified to that, we pray, Lord, that we might be found in You, not having a righteousness that is in our own, but that righteousness which is through Christ, a righteousness which is by faith. And may we live to honor You and to love You and to bring You praise throughout the rest of our days because of Your mercy and grace that's been shown to us. We pray in Christ's holy name. Amen.